If you're anything like me, you spent your childhood assuming that one day you'd meet your Prince Charming. You'd get married, you'd have a nice house in the suburbs, a dog, a career, and a couple of kids. It never crossed your mind that Prince Charming wouldn't come along, or that tragically you'd lose him before his time, or that your marriage wouldn't work out, or even that your biological clock would have other ideas. Or maybe you never really wanted that sort of happily ever after. Maybe you never wanted a man, but you did know you always wanted children. We're living in an age where for the first time, women can embrace motherhood on their own terms. They no longer have to put their lives on hold waiting for the right man, or settling for someone who they know isn't right for them, just so they can become a mother. More women than ever before are embarking on the journey to become what's known as a solo mother by choice. And while for a lot of us it doesn't feel like a choice, but more a necessity, the bottom line is there are now options for you to be able to fulfill your dreams of motherhood if the traditional route isn't playing out as expected. The No Need for Prince Charming podcast will share stories of Australian women who have successfully become solo mothers by choice. They each have a unique story as to why they decided to pursue motherhood in this way and the journey they had to go through to make this dream a reality. The hope is that by sharing these stories, you'll have the knowledge and the confidence to embark on this amazing journey yourself if you determine it's the right one for you. In the words of Walt Disney, all of our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. All you need is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. Welcome to the podcast tonight, Beck. I would love to start by understanding what led you to become a solo mum by choice. Hi, uh, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. Um, so I have always had three dreams, um, which was to become a teacher, to travel overseas and to become a mum. And I became a teacher, I travelled overseas um, and then when I came back I was like, right, it's time to um, settle down and achieve my dream of becoming a mum. Um, I'd always kind of thought if I never met anybody that I would do this on my own, but okay. I didn't understand the concept of actually being a, a solo mum by choice. Um, and it wasn't until I was having a conversation with a friend, she mentioned that she had a friend in Canada who had done this um, and suggested I join some Facebook groups. Um, so that's how I actually found this community of women who are all doing the same thing. Um, so I joined the Facebook groups, did my research, um, and then I've actually found my fertility specialist in my clinic through recommendations from other people. Yeah. Um, so I, um, what was it, 2021 in March, um, I saved up, um, got my house, got my ongoing job, and then decided it was time. Uh, went and saw the fertility specialist. Um in March and then I ended up having all the tests and everything like that um, done and I went back to the fertility specialist to get my um, like results and to find out what the process was going to be like for me and on the way to the appointment I actually got a phone call to say that my nan was um, about to pass away so I kind of put the brakes on um a little bit with that process um I pushed it back as far as I could uh, a couple of months um but yeah I went from this like absolutely oh my god it's amazing like I can't believe that I'm here and I'm excited and um went to this fertility specialist appointment and got told that we were going to do IVF and I qualified for Medicare rebates and all of that kind of stuff um and then I had to go from there to go and say goodbye to my nan so it was a very, very emotional time mm. um, and I was a little bit worried about 
the effect that all that kind of grief would have on the cycle and and um, being able to fall pregnant and that kind of thing. Um, so then I, I'm trying to think now <laughs> back to what happened. So um, did, you, did you tell your nan I, what you were doing? My nan knew that I really wanted to go through this process. Um, she was unwell in hospital. She was sick for quite a while. Um, so we kind of said to her, she didn't understand very much towards the end, um, but we kind of said to her that I was going to try and um, have a baby and she was really excited for me. Um, but I'm not sure how much she actually took in <laughs> from all of that. Um so I actually had my first counselling appointment the day after her funeral. Um, oh, so hard. that was, yeah, that was um, very, very full on. Um, so I was kind of dealing with all the emotions from losing my nan, who I was quite, quite close to. And then, um, yeah, having this um, excitement of, okay, um, what am I looking for in a donor? Uh, and that kind of conversation. Um, so, yeah, once I'd had that, um, counseling appointment I then um, got to access the the donor registry um, to choose my donor and the donor was actually the first person or the first profile that I read wow, okay. and I just everything it was just ticking all these boxes for me um, and then I thought oh no like I can't I can't pick the first one that I met uh, that I've um, I've read I've got to wait um, and read all the others and I kind of read through them and they were all didn't really um, suit what I was looking for. Did you have an idea going into it of the important things that you were looking for in a donor? Um, I was kind of interested in um, medical history. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a, a couple of um, medical conditions in my family, um, like heart um, problems and asthma and like all those sorts of things. So I wanted to try and choose somebody who was um, – if they had any medical issues, they weren't medical issues that we already had that would then make my child more likely to have those same yeah. issues. Yeah. Um, and I also felt like I wanted somebody who had similar interests to me or um, where we kind of differed. It was, wasn't something that I was like totally like, oh, that's not going to Clash, that's going to clash with me um because there was one donor who was interested in like uh, insects and snakes and all that sort of things and I absolutely hate like snakes and spiders and all that sort of stuff <laughs> and I just thought I don't want my child having that kind of interest growing up um because that's not going to work bring home all um, the creepy crawlies to mum yeah <laughs> yeah 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 that's not going to work for me um so yes I chose somebody who had sort of similar interests um but then was also different in some ways like I'm not a very sporty person and the donor was a, a more sporty sporty person um but he liked to travel and I like to travel mm -hmm. um he liked pasta and I like pasta you know those, those sorts of uh, similarities yep. yeah yeah <laughs> um and he also wrote a beautiful letter um to the child the children um created from his donations and that for me was kind of the the kicker. That was the tick that box. Um, absolutely, um, hundred percent. Absolutely love this person um, for being a donor um, because he was writing about how um, he felt really um, 
oh, how can I describe it? <laughs> he was really happy about being able to donate and to make other people's dreams come true because he thought he might not be able to have children. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was open to meeting as well, which I thought was really important. Like I want that option for my child. Yeah. So I felt like, um, you know, if he was really open to meeting, then, um, you know, my child's then going to have that opportunity available to them if if they ever want it. Um, so yeah, this, this beautiful letter was kind of, yeah, cinched the deal for me. And he definitely was somebody that I, um, I actually would have considered dating, um, okay. which that wasn't, it wasn't what I was looking for in a donor, but when I read the profile, I was like, I could see myself dating somebody like this. And I actually showed the profile to my, um, my mum and uh, my sisters and all that, and uh, they looked at it and went, this actually sounds like somebody that you would have dated. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the donor choosing process. Um, so I did choose a donor quite quickly, which I wasn't expecting. I thought it would take months and it didn't. You found the right one straight away, which is helpful. So how long after your nan passed away did you then start your treatment? Um, so my nan passed away at the start of May. Um, and then I'd basically chosen the donor a couple of weeks later. Um, so once you've chosen your donor, you had about three months to start the process, um, of, um, getting pregnant. So I pushed it back as, as far as I could. And I ended up doing my IVF cycle, um, at the end of July, start of August. So the 2nd of August, I had my, um, egg collection mm-hmm. and I uh, collected 15 eggs and then like it just dwindled down from there you know like I think it was like 11 mature and um, nine fertilized and then by the end of it I ended up with five blastocysts That's so five cool. embryos yeah which was quite good it was about a one-third success rate mm-hmm. um, and then I had one transferred fresh um on the friday which was about four or five days later mm-hmm. so yeah from there um i that was actually successful with that round um but i also ended up with ohss the ovarian hyperstim oh, no, yeah. um, so i ended up in hospital a couple of times with like really severe pain um i was having trouble walking all that sort of stuff and was that before yeah, or then, after the transfer I was having a little bit of pain before the transfer um, and like struggling to walk sort of thing, Um, but it was actually they did the transfer. I wasn't identified as a high risk for hyperstim. Mm -hmm. And then um, just trying to think what happened then. Yeah, so it was in the two-week wait. Um, I actually, I'm very bad for this, but I did test. Um, I just had to know what was going on. Yeah, yeah, so... I had a look, um, yeah, so tested the trigger out and then tested and saw like this line coming up. So I kind of knew that I was pregnant. Um, so when I ended up in emergency with this pain and they did blood, so I was like, oh, can you tell me what my HCG levels are? Like is there anything there? Like what's going on? <laughs> um, they told me those numbers there um, but wouldn't tell me what they were. Um, and then they d- diagnosed it as gastroenteritis. So ended up getting sent home, ended up back in emergency a couple of days later, was still having this pain. Um, and at that point they were suspecting maybe an ectopic pregnancy. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so they did an ultrasound and there was nothing. Um, and then they spoke to the fertility specialist and diagnosed it as OHSS. 
um, and then just kind of monitored this pregnancy because my HCG levels were quite low at the end of the two-week wait when they did the blood test. I think it was about 51. Um, so I was having like weekly ultrasounds and it just my bloods were showing that my HCG was sort of doubling um, for weeks, but this every ultrasound was showing very, very little growth um, and about seven weeks we had to make a decision about what we were going to do and because my HCG was still rising, um, I ended up waiting another two weeks. So at nine weeks I had this last ultrasound and this was kind of like the um, deciding moment because I didn't want to give up on a pregnancy if there was a chance that, you know, something could happen if yeah. there was a baby growing in there. Um, so it was very, very hard to let that kind of that hope go. Um, but at the same time, I just had this feeling like it wasn't right. Mm. Uh, I just kept waiting for that shoe to drop that it was, I never got to celebrate really being pregnant. Um, and yeah, so at nine weeks with this ultrasound, there was, it was very, very certain that the, the sac wasn't growing very much. Um, so we made the, the choice to do a DNC. Um, and my fertility specialist was amazing and she actually came in on her day off to actually do the procedure two days later um, so that I could try again with my next cycle. Well, that's so been really powerful, poor thing. It was. Um, it was very, very hard because I was still, you know, I was still working and nobody at work knew what I was going through. Um, and I'm a school teacher, so... Um, I was dealing with this miscarriage during the school holidays and then I came back term three and everyone's going, oh, so how was your holidays? And, like, I've it just gone rubbish. through this most <laughs> emotionally devastating time um, and just was absolutely struggling with the emotions. Um, and I don't think anybody really tells you how bad the emotions are after a miscarriage because I just hit rock bottom and I could not stop crying and everything was just so hard and I couldn't even fathom trying again. And there's so many hormones so and everything else racing through your body and stuff as yeah. well. Yeah. It's even harder. So, yeah, it's tough. Yeah. I, like other women who go through multiple miscarriages and keep trying, like I just take my hat off to them because they are just so strong to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I kind of said to myself, like, I'm not going to make a decision until I get my period back. I'm just going to let myself grieve and, and do what I need to do to get myself back into a good headspace because I've just gone through the loss of my nan and then the loss of this pregnancy. And so it was a very tough year. It was a crappy um, few months, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it really was. Um, and then, I, yeah, so I I thought I actually got my period back um, a day before it did come and I got really excited and then realised it wasn't and then I was really sad that I couldn't try again and I and that was when I knew I got my answer that I, I needed to try again. Yeah. Um, and also financially it made sense because it was coming up to the end of the financial year and I, because I was over the Medicare threshold, um, I ended up saving a lot of money by doing another cycle then rather than waiting and doing yeah. it the following year and then not getting as much back. Um, so, yeah, um, so I started in November. So when I got my period back, I rang up um, the clinic and said, let's do it. Um, so I went in for my transfer at the end of November. Um, and this time 
um, didn't end up with ovarian hypersteam because I wasn't on all the medications, thank goodness. Um, And I walked out of the clinic and my mum had actually come to pick me up. So she was sitting in the car outside and I walked out and I could feel like instant cramping. And I I said to my mum as I got in the car, this one's, this one's sticking. Like I'm pregnant. Yeah. I knew straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Which was such a different feeling from the first pregnancy. Um, but at the same time, you're like, oh, like I've got to wait. I've got to, you know, never know after what had happened with the previous pregnancy. I was, you know, just kind of let's take it with a grain of salt. But like this is really sticky. <laughs> Did you um, test all through the two-week wait this time or were you a bit more cautious? Uh, I was, well, I was going to wait to test. Um, yeah. And then I actually had a friend who um, said about, um, three days after my transfer, she goes, I would have gotten a positive by now. I think you should test. <laughs> and <No pressure>. so <laughs> I actually uh, brought a test on the way home and I went home and I tested and it had the faintest, faintest line. And I was like, I knew it. <laughs> and that was when I kind of got started to get like that little bit of excitement. Like, yeah, I such a different feeling. Mm. And then the line was much stronger as I tested it out the two week wait as well. So, yeah, um, and then my pregnancy. So um, after the two-week wait, I got the phone call. Uh, it was about five minutes before I had to go out on yard duty from the clinic and say, congratulations, you're pregnant. And there's me like, okay, I have to go out and I'm you know, really happy around all these more children. <laughs> I'm so excited right now. <laughs> um, but, yeah, can't tell anybody. <laughs> um, so, yeah, my pregnancy was pretty straightforward to start with um and you know um I was very very lucky in that I got the the big morning sickness period over the school holidays over the summer so um it was very very convenient kind of started to pick up in the last week of um school and then it was tapering off when we started to go back to school so very 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 convenient timing um and then yeah I had uh, I'm just trying to think back to my pregnancy now. So my, I did have a fall when I was about 22 weeks pregnant, which wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Um, so that sent me to the, fell down some stairs. Um, so I had to go to the hospital and just make sure that everything was checked out because all of that's kind of, you know, you want to make sure that everything's yeah. okay. You hear all these horror stories of, you know, the placenta um, coming off and yeah babies having difficulties but everything was fine so that was a relief and the gestational diabetes test so the glucose test mm-hmm. I had that done when I was 27 weeks pregnant okay. um, and then I actually have so my grandfather has type 2 diabetes and we've always joked because I love chocolate that I'm the person that in our family is going to end up with diabetes and so when I had this glucose test I was kind of I said right from the start that I'm going to end up with gestational diabetes and so yeah had this test done at 27 weeks and I think it wasn't until 29 weeks that I had my appointment and found out yes I do have gestational diabetes um and even the the midwife that I saw when she told me that I had gestational diabetes she was like oh um you don't, you don't seem very surprised. And I was like, mm, not really. <laughs> kind of expected it. 
I've got type Even two on I had both sides of my family. So I was like, it's inevitable with my age and all that history that I was going to get it. So I was like, yeah, yes. well, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> What's the yeah. more needles after everything we've been through? Yeah, That's it. That's exactly it. I, um, I did joke to my mum at one point that my pregnancy began and will end with pregnancy. With needles because you know yeah. start with IVF needles and with your um diabetes needles insulin so yeah that was me too yeah yeah <laughs> I think that's one thing um, we didn't cover how old were you when you got pregnant uh so I was 30 th- no 34 when I got oh, pregnant so not geriatric then my <laughs> no but my daughter was born just after I turned 35 so I don't know whether that made me geriatric for the, the last two months of my pregnancy. Nah. I'm not sure. <laughs> was there a reason yeah. that they went straight to IVF for you rather than trying IUI? Um, so my AMH was low, um, but it was low and it was kind of that sweet spot where it was low enough to qualify me for the Medicare rebate, but not so low that I would really struggle to get pregnant. Yeah. Um, so they just suggested, and also I want want siblings um so when they suggested IVF I was like yep okay let's do it because then I can I know that I'll have um embryos ready to go for a sibling later on down the track so that's even more amazing that you got five blastocysts if you had low AMH as well yeah yeah so and then yeah so I lost the first one and then the second one was my daughter so I've still got three in the freezer there so that's good yeah Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so fingers crossed one of them sticks at, at some point. I'm two for two for pregnancies. So, you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> I'm good odds ahead of us, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, with the gestational diabetes, I really um, struggled to not get spikes. Um, I couldn't control the, the spikes. I was diet controlled for the first little bit um, and it just, I, could eat the same thing and get really low numbers and then same thing the next day at the same time and get really, really high spikes. So ended up on medication um, and then still spiked and then they upped the medication and still kept spiking. So I spiked my entire pregnancy. I never got my gestational diabetes under control. Um, So obviously with gestational diabetes, there's a risk that your baby will be a larger baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but my daughter was measuring about the 40, 44th percentile for weight. So she was kind of in the middle. Um, and then when she was born, she was actually pretty small. So it was very, very different. Opposite of what they say it could be. Yes. Yeah, she was tiny. Yeah. I was going to finish at 36 weeks pregnant and then my school actually couldn't replace me. They couldn't find another teacher. So um after a discussion with them I agreed to end up working an extra week mm-hmm. I finished at 37 weeks exactly and caught COVID on my last day of work oh, no. after wearing masks for my entire pregnancy oh. um so uh, the, and the day before I was supposed to finish at 37 weeks they um I had a meeting with the um, doctor and the the midwives and all that and they said because of my gestational diabetes we're going to induce you next week and I was like okay well there goes my entire mat leave of you know cleaning the house and get everything ready and um, all of a sudden I was like right okay well I'm being induced next week and then and then I got COVID. COVID 
and then was in isolation for that week, unable to do anything. <laughs> was your house clean? So, <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I was, you know, going to do like the big spring clean and, um, you know, wipe down all the surfaces and baby proof things and sort out clothes and whatnot. And it just, yeah, it didn't work. Didn't work out that way. I was exhausted on the couch and um, I had a little bit of trouble with my breathing and all that sort of stuff as well. So it was um how did they deal with very dramatic stuff being yeah pregnant and with covid but you're yeah well i that sounds awful i had a fever which my i felt like i had a fever my thermometer showed my temperature was fine um and the baby had sort of settled down with her movement so i rang the midwives and they were like come in Mm. So went to the hospital and the hospital at that time, they were doing the, um, you know, walk in the door, COVID checks. Do you have a temperature? Do you have, you know, this and that? And I'm like answering, no, I don't have a fever because my but thermometer's I told me, no, I don't. <laughs> but, well, I didn't know at that point. Oh. Um, and then, yeah, so I went into to hospital to get checked out. And then when I was there, they checked my temperature and were like, no, you have a temperature. You clearly have an infection of some kind, um, admitted me. And then my PCR test results came back the next morning that, yes, you have COVID. And that's how I found out I had COVID was I- in hospital. So a bit, a bit dramatic. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, they, they ended up sending me home and I just isolated at home they told me to come back if anything got worse. Um, so a couple of days later, I was having a lot of difficulty breathing because you have a baby shoving mm, up a against your yeah. yeah. Yep. So I ended up calling an ambulance, but they said, you're fine. And there's not much we can do at hospital. Um, your oxygen levels are great. So if you want to stay at home, you can, otherwise we can take you in, but there's not much we can do. So I ended up staying home and isolating. Was that quite stressful? Uh, like, were you at home by yourself? Yes. Yeah. 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 I was at home by myself. Um, but you were cured by the time it was time to be induced? Um, the, the doctors actually said like, we can induce you at the same time even though you have COVID, like we're happy to do that. And I thought, sort of thought, no, I don't want to, I don't want to go through labor with COVID because um, then everyone would be masked up and all that kind of stuff. Um, and also my mum was going to be my support partner and we didn't want to risk her coming down with COVID when she's supposed to be coming in and helping me with the newborn. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we decided that it was probably best to wait. Um, so the day... I came out of isolation. Um, I went into the hospital to be induced that night. And um, induction was a whole other kind of story as well because I kept getting told different things. Like the first night I was told um, that my cervix was fine and I didn't need the balloon and to come back the next morning have my waters broken. And then the next morning, actually, you need the balloon. So come back tomorrow and we'll do the balloon. And then I went back the next day and they were like, actually, no, you don't need the balloon. Um, your cervix is fine. <laughs> so it was a bit, yeah. It's very drawn out. Up and, yeah, it was a very drawn out process. Um, so at that point I was like, they, they decided to keep me in hospital that night, which was the 2nd of August, actually. <laughs> um, which is the day when we recording. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> yeah, so two years ago was my egg collection. A year ago I was in labor and then this year I've got a one year old happening tomorrow morning. So oh, exciting, good timing. Yeah. Yeah, very good timing. Second of August is a very special day. Um, so um 
yeah, basically when they went to do the, um, they decided to keep me overnight and they were going to do the pessary, um, uh, the Cervidil um, pill or whatever it is. No, it's a pessary, isn't it? Um, and, yeah, so they, um, when they went to do it, they actually broke my waters. So I ended up in labour that night, which I was so relieved about. Like I cried and laughed at the same time when they broke my waters because I was just so relieved. Cervical checks are not fun at all really for not. me. I struggled with them. So, yeah. Um, so then I had a very intense labour, was having like double contractions. Um, they lost my daughter for about 20 minutes on the um, CTG trace. Um, so they ended up having to, me, to get me to lie on my back on the bed, which is very, very, very painful. And it was at that point I was like, no, I need um, the epidural. So got the epidural very, very quickly. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then were rested until 3 a.m. the next morning. And then I um, pushed for about two hours. Uh, and then the doctors came in and they were like, and I was getting tired, which I fully put down to having COVID. So then I um, ended up, um, they ended up with a forceps and episiotomy because they were starting to lose favourable signs from the baby. Um, so like, we're just going to have to get her out as soon as possible, which, yeah. So she was born at 4.59 a.m. Um, and at that point I didn't actually know what I was having, like throughout my entire That's pregnancy, surprised. I, yeah, I always thought I would find out, but, um, the longer my pregnancy was going on, I was like, actually, you know what? I'm pretty fine not knowing. Um, it's going to be a great surprise. It's going to be like my reward for pushing at the end yeah. of labor. Um, so yeah, when my daughter was born, um, I didn't even like twig at first, like I was just like, oh my God, there's a baby. There's like a she's baby. here. She's yeah. amazing. Um, or like, you know, baby, baby's amazing. And then they're like, do you want to know what you had? And I said, oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> Don't know yet. So they lifted her up and I got to, to see her and um, I actually got to cut the umbilical cord as well, which was really special. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And then. So in the hospital, like she was having a lot of um, latching and sucking issues. Um, so we actually ended up staying in hospital for an extra day. Um, so I was in hospital. She was born Wednesday morning and we left the hospital on Saturday. Yeah. And the nurses, the, um, they wouldn't let me go unless I had like the pump ready to all set up so that I could pump milk for her. And then as soon as we got home, she started latching and sucking and I never actually used the pump that I hired. So it was a bit bit crazy. <laughs> um, and so you said that she was quite small when obviously they were thinking. Might yeah, be yep. So TV. she was 2.79 kilos when she was born, which That's is about 6.1 pounds. Yeah. So very, very small. Did she go into special care or anything like that with no, know? she she actually came out crying. Um, she had a good set of lungs on her, which I think she gets from me. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, so she stayed on me for about two hours before they actually measured and weighed her. Um, and she passed all her blood sugars and everything like that. She was just small. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, they she lost, I think, 10.4% 10. 10. of her body weight when she was in hospital. And then she gained all that back in about a week after she left. 
So she actually, yeah, yeah. So she gained weight really, really well up until about that four-month mark. And then she plateaued. (laughs) At four months, I kind of started noticing that she wasn't progressing through her clothes and her nappies. Um, Like she started off in um, premi clothes and and nappies and then she was in there for six weeks and then she'd move to the next one and then three, so four zeros and three zeros. And then she just stopped and it was... Um, I just, yeah, she didn't really seem to be growing the same as what she had been. So we went for her six month injections and I, um, I said to the doctors, I'm a bit concerned. She's just a little bit small at the moment. I don't feel like she's growing very much. So they weighed her and they were a bit concerned that she had, she, I think she was dropping off the percentile charts, which when she was born, 2.79, she even though she was full term, she was um, about the third percentile on the, the weight charts. And then she – so it's not very far to fall off the charts, but, yeah, she was starting to, to disappear off the chart. So um, I – yeah, so – we um, ended up having regular weight gain checks with the doctors um, and we definitely noticed that she was only putting on very, very, very small amounts. Um, at one point she put on about eight grams in three weeks. Oh, so very, very tiny weight gain. Yeah. Um, and uh, at, I'm trying to think now, so after a couple of, of, of those weight gain checks, they decided to refer us to a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was very, very tricky to get in to see a pediatrician because um, we didn't meet any of the kind of criteria um, for really? like out of home care or, you know, um, refugees or anything like that, which apparently um, we needed to. But even being on my own, like a single mum and a baby that's that's fail- technically failure to thrive, um, they apparently we didn't match the criteria. So that was really interesting. Seems ridiculous. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I had a, um, a really, really great doctor and she emailed, she found this pediatrician who worked in the public and the private sector and she emailed his private rooms and said how can we get to see you in the public sector like what what's the best way to do this and he actually ended up fitting us in um to see us in the public sector so that was really 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 lucky um but I think it was my daughter was nine months old when we actually managed to get in to see him so it was about three months of monitoring before we were able to get in to see the pediatrician um, and she wasn't picking up at all with solids or anything like that. So that was an extra kind of was challenge. Was she interested in like eating them or just? No, she um, she would actually gag. Like she'd physically make faces and like poke her tongue out and gag at tasting foods. Um, she'd eat. Um, we actually went and saw, he ended up getting referred to a dietitian and at the dietitian appointment, which we had about 10, at 10 months old. So she said to us, what kind of servings is she having? Uh, and I said, servings? No, she's having like a tablespoon of food, if that, if we're lucky. 
at a meal and I'm offering like all the, I'm offering three meals a day. We're doing all sorts of different types of food. She won't touch puree. She won't touch yogurt, bananas. She, I think it was a bit of a sensory thing for her. Mm. Um, so I ended up going, taking her to messy play um, sessions where she gets to kind of explore with, you know, oats and spaghetti and jelly and all those kind of different textile things, um, which she still doesn't like the jelly and the really um, the wet, sticky um, ones. But, yeah, she's, um, yeah, very been very, very funny about food to start with at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, it did take a while for her to start picking up with food. Um, we got referred to the feeding clinic um, and the OT as well, and they've done a, a develop, global developmental screen. And she's um, basically has a couple of areas, particularly like gross motor skills um, and communication. They're the areas where she's very, very, very far behind because she – I'll oh, we'll go back to this when we talk about the um the fourth trimester, but when she was born, she hated being on her stomach. We had lots of issues with like the colic and the reflux and all that that kind of issues, those kind of issues. And so she hated being on her tummy. So every time I put her down on her tummy, she would scream. Um, and eventually she started to stay longer and longer on her stomach. Um, but the first thing she learned how to do was to roll off her stomach. And so anytime I tried to put her down, she'd just roll straight off her tummy. So she, and she wouldn't roll back the other way because she knew that she didn't like being on a tummy. So obviously getting to that crawling aspect has been tricky because she won't stay on her tummy. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, she's behind in that. She's not crawling. She's not standing. She's not walking um she's not you know waving or pointing or high-fiving or anything like that either um and she's still only really kind of doing the babble but not really understanding words as such um so yeah it's it's been tricky it's been a bit of worry about um what can I do to support her um being on my own as well, it's been a little bit of that. Am I am I not spending enough time with her because you know I've got to cook dinner or clean the house or you know do all those sorts of things? So I go and hang out a load of washing. Um, am I not? Ta- is she not hearing enough talking? Um, you know, where in families where there are two parents, you know, they might hear conversations going on and and kind of pick up on things where just because it's us two she's not getting that kind of exposure. So I have taken her out to, we've actually done quite a lot of uh, things outside the house. So we'll do, we do swimming. We've done things like Jimbaroo. We've done um, the messy play. We've done like the library story times. So I do get her out of the house and we go and do things. We go um, to my parents' house quite frequently. I'm very close to my mum and my mum and dad. So it's been kind of trying to make sure that she's not missing out on those kind of social interactions as well. And so you're back at work now, aren't you? Is she in daycare now with that? Yes. Yeah, yep. So um, I had originally planned to spend a year off on maternity leave and then just kind of do a couple of maybe CRT supply, um, like um, casual relief teaching days here and there. 
and in term two and before I went back um, in term three and I actually had a really great job at a school come up near me so I actually took the job even though it meant that I had to go back to work slightly early Mm -hmm. so I ended up two days in term two and then I've gone to four days in term three so this is week four Um, and I've definitely found it's been more of a challenge doing four days than it was doing two. Two was easy. Two was lovely. Um, I think three would probably be the perfect mix. Um, But financially, got to go back four days. So um, Eden's in childcare Mm -hmm. for those four days. Um, At the start, she struggled a a little bit, Um, I think as all children kind of do, being away from their primary caregiver from, from the first time. Um, but she's actually settled down really, really well. Um, she's gotten a lot of illnesses, <laughs> which is um, common and expected. Um, so we've actually been home this week, which has been nice. It's been nice to spend all that extra time with her. A little break. So, but, yeah, yeah, she's getting the, the social stuff at childcare as well. And is that changing anything in terms of her food and weight or her development or anything, being around the other kids? Uh, I think, yes, um, it's definitely helped with watching the other kids eating. I think she's um, copying them a little bit more. Um, yeah, the the copying other kids, she's, she's a watcher. She just, she loves to people watch. So she'll just quite happily sit there and just watch other children or watch other people do what they do. Um, and she's, yeah, just quite happy to sit there. And um, so she hasn't really copied them in terms of the rolling or the crawling or anything like that, not yet anyway. Um, I joke that what, she'll, she'll be the kid that skips crawling. Like one day she'll just stand up and walk walking. to wherever she needs to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, when we do swimming and they're, they're giving the, the instructor the high five, so all the kids go around and do the high five and it comes to her and she just kind of watches. And I, I think she's starting to figure out that, you know, when someone holds their hand out to her, she can reach out and, and touch it with her hand as well. So I think it's, I think, She's understanding. I think it's starting to come, but it's just um, I think it's more like a control of her limbs sort of thing at this point, yeah. And so does it sound like the food and eating and weight things will be a bit of a battle for the next wee while or have they got any ideas? Um, So we've seen the, the dietitian and the feeding clinic and the OT and all that sort of thing, so we've been seeing them quite regularly we've had a couple of meetings Uh, we've got a few care plans in place Um, based on the developmental screen they've actually referred us to something called the NDIS early childhood early intervention program Um, so that will get us some more support for um, OT appointments and um, dietitian and all those kinds of things so we'll be getting more support around um, those areas in the future always helpful Um, Yes, yeah, very much so. Um, and the the care plans have been great as well because we've had to take a step back. So what I was offering in terms of food and um, texture and all that that kind of stuff was developmentally appropriate for an 11-month-old, but I had to take it back a step and go, okay, what she, with the level that she's actually at is about an 8-month-old. Mm-hmm. 
So I've got to go back and offer smaller pieces. And um, she was doing a lot of gagging because she was taking in these these pieces of food that were too big for her. And she doesn't quite have chewing yet, chewing and biting. Um, so I've had to chop up her food a little bit smaller and, and make sure that it's actually food that she can eat without that gagging to make eating a bit more of a pleasurable activity rather than this um, minefield of gaggy. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, it's so yeah. hard navigating the little things, isn't it? It's so much easier when they can talk and tell you what's going on for them. But Yeah, yeah. I think and the eating food and offering solids has been probably my biggest thing as a parent, the bit that I've been the most anxious about. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really sort of... Um, you know, if I've, I've breastfed my daughter or have been breastfeeding my daughter for a year now and that, you know, being able to feed her on the go at any time whenever she was hungry was so easy um, and so simple to do, um, at least once we, we got past the latching and sucking. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like it was, you know, no mess sort of thing um, and then all of a sudden we went into this eating food and she wasn't really understanding what she needed to do with food um, so trying to teach her all of those skills. Um, and then obviously there's that risk of choking, um, which I'd actually done a first aid course before I gave birth. So while I was pregnant, um, and that was really helpful for understanding like the difference between choking and gagging. So I found it helpful to, um, just remind myself of the difference between the choking and the gagging and she's actually gagging and that's normal. It's developmentally appropriate. Um, but it still doesn't help like the anxiety whenever oh, I offered her so food, yeah. like I had to watch her like a hawk and it just breathe. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're living quite close to your parents. You see them quite a bit. Are they quite a good support? Yeah, yeah. Um, so they live about five minutes away from my house, which has been great. Very handy. Um, yeah, very, very handy. Uh, but they also like to go um, traveling around Australia. So they're here for some months and then they're off for quite a few months of the year. So um, Sounds when, lovely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They've, they've worked very hard for it. Um, so once dad was retired they were able to kind of set off and go traveling around um which I'm very very jealous of Mm. Uh, but uh yeah when they're here it's been really really great to be able to see them and um my mum in particular having watched my daughter be born has been um their bond is amazing yeah so it's lovely lovely to see and you originally said that you were hoping to have more than one child have you given any thought to when you might try again um, if it was up to me, if I financially could have afforded it, I would have been back when I was about four months postpartum. Oh, wow. I had okay. this, like, I must've been the hormones because I was just like, while I'm in the trenches and, you know, going through like really sleepless nights and all of that, like, oh, I want another baby. <laughs> <laughs> Most people are put um, up at that point and you're like, no, give me another one. Okay. <laughs> no. Oh, give me another baby. Like, let's do it. Let's, let's go back. Um, and even now, like I would love to, um, it's that kind of urge is faded a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, like I would still love to have another child, um, but it's definitely off the cards for a little bit. Um, just like financially and all that sort of thing with all the mortgage rate increases and all that sort of thing. I think I'm just going to have to, um, 
like tighten the belt and just save up a little bit more money. Um, I really enjoyed having a lot of time off with my daughter on maternity leave and I want to be able to do something very similar to that with a second child or um, be able to go back like three days a week um, for longer rather than having to go back to full-time work sooner. So um, I would like to have like a little bit of a, a nest egg there to be able to support myself um, and two children through all of that and childcare and all that sort of stuff. So um, it's definitely on the cards, absolutely, um, but I don't think it'll be anytime soon. <laughs> maybe maybe next year or the year after, I think. So, yeah, I'll just enjoy having my daughter with me at the moment. So taking all her milestones and is motherhood what you thought it would be when you went into this journey um yes (laughs) Uh, I think being a teacher has helped like I kind of knew what I was getting myself into in terms of um I've I've watched my family like my sister's got two kids of her own Um, I've watched her go through it I've seen um, like all these women on the Facebook groups for the single mothers by choice um, and they're talking about, you know, what life looks like for them and their different challenges. So I'm, I'm very much a researcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very much an overthinker as well. <laughs> so it was <laughs> looking at, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, um, I think I educated myself about what, it would look like and what could potentially happen and um and strategies that other women have found very helpful um so then when it happened I knew what I was getting myself into probably the hardest thing was in the first couple of months and I'm not sure how much of this was because of like the COVID recovery Mm. or whether it was the newborn sleep deprivation all of that kind of stuff or recovering from labor and all of that but I was just so exhausted in the first couple of months um and my daughter did not sleep at all unless she was on somebody so it made it very very tricky to get sleep I think COVID probably would have had some sort of consideration for that because it can take quite a while to get out of your system and then sleep deprived anyway terrible combination yeah Yeah. and I hadn't really recovered from COVID at all I mean like I'd come out of isolation I think two three days before I gave birth so it was still very much um probably still in my system so and um I know I mentioned before her colic and her reflux um so she um when I would put her down, she would start like the the vomiting and it would come out of both her nose and her mouth at the same time. So she'd be choking oh, if I placed her on her back. Yeah. So for me, that was very stressful because I felt like I couldn't sleep because she might choke yeah. while I was sleeping. So I put her down and then I'm watching her to make sure she's all right. And then once she settled, then I'm trying to lay down and have a sleep. And, of course, then she wakes up because she's only having like 15, 20-minute naps at a time. Um, and then it was at that point, so it was about three weeks in. Um, so my mum actually stayed with me for the first week, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was on my own for a little bit, but she'd come during the day to kind of give me a break. And then at about three months, like I was just so sleep deprived because I'd be up all night with my daughter and then just not being able to nap at all. So I ended up moving in with my mum and dad for about five weeks, I think. Yeah. Um, 
So from the time she was about three weeks old to about eight eight weeks old, uh, we lived with my mum and dad. So they could um, they would take her at night for maybe two or three hours um, until about ten o'clock at night. So I'd have dinner, I'd go down, have a nap, and then I would take her. They would go to bed. I'd be up all night with her, and then that mum would come in about six thirty in the morning to give me a break. And then I have like another hour or so sleep. And then <laughs> that was my sleep was like an hour or two here in the morning and at night time. I'm exhausted just hearing it. Ugh, no. <laughs> it, it was a lot. So, um, but I was very, very, very lucky that I had my mum and my dad and they were able to do that. Um, so I'm very grateful to them for that. Really lucky. Yeah. I did say to my dad at one point that I wanted, all I wanted was a two-hour block of sleep. Just yeah uninterrupted and then we we did get there (laughs) we did get there in the end and we've worked hard and now she's pretty much sleeping through the night at a year old so we've we've come a long way okay so they're obviously very supportive when you had it were they supportive when you told them what you wanted to do um my mum was my mum was very thrilled she's a very maternal person like I am um, and my dad was actually probably the only person that I had sort of a negative reaction from. Everyone else was very supportive and very like, oh, my God, you're so strong, you're so brave. Um, my dad was a bit concerned about why I was doing this, and, and um, yeah, he <laughs> he basically turned around to me and said, why don't you just go down to the pub? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Um, he, two things with that. I think he was very, he's very old fashioned, um, in that he thinks that a family should have two parents and that children deserve to have dads. Um, and for me, I'm like, well, I know from seeing all these amazing strong women on the Facebook groups that these children are growing up to be amazing people. Um, there's so many people out there that have been raised by solo mums, even if they're not by choice. Um, yeah. I mean, of course I can do it. I know that I can do it and I know my daughter will be absolutely fine. Um, and then the other side of it from him was just a place of concern. Like he was very worried about whether I'd be able to afford it um, and um, how I would cope as well. Yeah. So, um yeah, I think it was just a mixture of like, you know, that's the way that he's grown up and and, and his attitudes and, and values, I suppose, um, as well as concern for me. So, but he, um, he's gone from that to, he absolutely adores my, my daughter. He um, loves seeing her, loves looking after her. Um, so he's, he's very much in love with her. Yeah. Oh, they all come around uh, yeah. as soon as there's a baby involved, don't they? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very positive, very positive now. If you look back now, is there anything you wish you'd done differently in your journey? Um, I don't think so. Um, like I know everyone says, oh, you know, I wish I'd done it sooner. And, and part of me is like, oh, I do kind of wish I had done it sooner but at the same time like I've done so many amazing things in my life um I've done all my travels I've I lived overseas for two years so I am very much like I wouldn't have been able to have done all of that 
and then had my daughter at the same time. So, and also, you know, if I had gone earlier, then I would have had to choose a different donor and my daughter wouldn't be who she is. So I'm very much like everything has its, um, everything happens for a reason. Um, So I think probably the only thing I would change is probably I would have saved a little bit more along the way (laughs) rather than spending all my money here and there and like whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I, I wouldn't change anything. Have you no. given any thought to meeting the donor in the future or anything about donor siblings? Uh, I actually did contact the the clinic a couple of months ago to find out about donor siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of wanted to, for like this first year, just to be us and to kind of be a bit oblivious about what else is going on out, out there. Um, but I am, I'm curious and I am a hundred percent for if my daughter ever wants to track down, um, the donor or any siblings, like I'm a hundred percent behind any of her decisions to do that. Um, I, 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 I'm curious. I, I would be absolutely happy to meet the donor one day and just say, thank you for giving me the greatest gift. Um, like I just love my daughter to bits. She's just amazing. Um, so to be able to say thank you for the the gift that he's given me, I would love to do that. Um, so at some stage, um, I'm hoping that we will be able to do that, but if she chooses not to, then that's absolutely fine as well. Um, and then donor siblings, the clinics, um, actually given me, um, the family audit. So there's four children, including my daughter who were all born around the same time. So it'll be so three 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 donor siblings at the moment. Um, so I'm not sure yet about reaching out, but it's nice to know that they're there. Yeah. Um, so if she um, asks or we start having those conversations down the track, then I can go. Oh yes, you have you have three siblings that we know about. Yeah, it's a whole different so, conversation to you don't have a daddy, you have a donor to saying yeah, and you actually have some brothers and sisters out there. Yeah, yeah. We haven't yeah. started that one yet, so. <laughs> Yeah, I bought um, a picture book the other day called I've Got Dibs. Um, So I've already, I've got so many picture books. Um, Being a primary school teacher, like I have all the picture books Um, and we've had uh, all of them out and we've read through all of them already. So we'll just keep them in the rotation and I'm sure eventually she'll start asking questions about it, but she'll always know exactly where she's come from and how she got here and how loved she is and yeah, I think that's so important. I think that's the biggest thing with solo mums by choice is that their children know that their donor conceived pretty much from day one, whereas if it's a yes. a couple which had fertility issues, or then they might not be as transparent with them. So that's one of the challenges yeah. with finding the siblings, isn't it? It depends what their family makeup is and how transparent that's they are. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping because I chose a local donor that they will be fairly local. So um, we will be able to meet up with them at some point. It won't be like they're, you know, in America and a bit far away to to catch up with. And so if anyone's on the fence about whether this is the right journey for them, what would you tell them? Um, I think I would definitely join the Facebook groups and the forums and all of that kind of stuff. I found those places to be such a wealth of information. Um, so there was a bit, period of about five years between, I was 28 when I came back from England and 33, 33 before I started trying and, and started the, the whole process. So 
um, for those five years, I was just reading through all of these women's experiences and I think finding out that other people have chosen this. I mean, before I had joined the Facebook groups, I didn't realise that there was this whole community out there. Um, So I was just like, oh, you know, it's just me. It's just me that wants to do this. Um, It's my brilliant idea. I do it by myself. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I'm just going to go have my daughter and we'll just be over here and completely oblivious to what else is going on. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But uh, I think the Facebook groups are amazing for, like, finding out that you're not alone in your feelings and and even exploring this idea um, to be able to find out what the day-to-day is like. Um, I wish, like, I didn't actually know this podcast was around when I was doing all this research and and finding out. I think it had just started. Was it? No. It was March last year. So, (laughs) Oh, March last year. Okay. Oh, that's all right then. (laughs) But um, when I found this, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I wish I'd known this was around Um, because it was, yeah, just listening to other women's stories on here has also been, like, so great to find out. Um, and compare and, and um, to know what's normal and what's um, what your options are and um, to get the different advice and all that sort of stuff. I think it's it's very helpful. Yeah. Well, hopefully your story has now just helped someone else too. And what's the one thing you're most looking forward to in the next few years with it? Um, uh, I love seeing her... Um, like her learning new things um, and just watching her pick up things um, when she picks up a new skill, like when she's rolling and you just celebrate with her and she just gets his biggest grin on her face um, and she laughs and it's just beautiful. So the next couple of years I think I'm just looking forward to just seeing all these new skills she's going to develop and seeing her laugh and, you know, I love making her laugh as well. She's got the best little giggle, so definitely definitely just I think the next couple of years are going to be full of all those learning big learning curves as she learns to crawl and walk and explore and climb and yeah all of that kind of stuff so and talk it's going to be shut up ever again (laughs) that's it yeah (laughs) I heard somewhere um we teach them how to um stand up and talk and then we spend the rest of their lives telling them to sit down and shut up so which is so true yeah yeah it's so true well I'm very excited to see what you and Eden get up to in the next few years and maybe a sibling in the future who knows so yes so much for sharing your story tonight yeah thank you very much for having me I'm Alicia and this is the No Need for Prince Charming podcast bringing you stories of Australian solo mums who created their own happy ending If you like what you heard, please follow or subscribe to make sure you don't miss out on future episodes and leave a like, a review or share with your friends to help others find it easier. Bye for now.